0: At this time, we'll have our children be dismissed to Children's Church. So any of our children, uh, four, four years old through first grade, can be dismissed at this time. And uh, those of you that are staying in here, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 6. As we're going to pick right up where we left off last week. Last week, we saw, if you were with us, You saw that we looked at the apostles and the church working together to choose seven men. I believe, many believe, the first deacons. But these men that would serve in the overseeing the ministry, the distribution ministry, to the widows. And so they've chosen these men and they are now serving in that capacity. And one of the specific men that was named, and we were given more detail about than just his name. There are only two of them in that category, but one of them was Stephen. And so today, we're going to see some more about Stephen. Last week, we are told that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. This week, we're going to learn more about Stephen. We're also going to see this, this truth of him being full of the Holy Spirit, being full of faith, Uh, We saw last week that some of those qualifications given for these men, that they had to be wise, that they had to be trustworthy. We're going to see those things in practice. What does it look like whenever somebody has those things, they put them into practice? We're going to see that. So this week and next week, we're going to hear a lot more about Stephen. So if you would, look with me, beginning in verse 8, Acts 6, verse 8, is where we'll pick up this morning. And read a little bit more about Stephen. In verse eight, it says, "And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people." And I want to stop there for just a moment because this is this is really our setting, right? Last week, if you're with us, if you remember, the the text kind of ended, or it did end for us in verse seven where we saw that these, these brothers were chosen and they're going to oversee the, the widow distribution ministry, but the apostles were going to continue being faithful in their ministry of prayer and of teaching the word. And so we ended in verse 7 last week, and it's, it's this beautiful picture, right? The word is continuing to increase, that more people are coming to be disciples of Christ, that even many of the priests are becoming obedient to the faith, and so it's just, it ended on this great positive note of how all these things were playing out in the church, and here it continues. We see Stephen, one of these seven that are chosen, not only are they progressing well in the distribution ministry that was helping these things to happen, but Stephen is also full of grace and power, and God is using him to do these signs and wonders among the people. So what do we see whenever we see this language of signs and wonders? It's it's used in the book of Acts to describe the apostles when they were doing miracles and healing people. It's used to refer to the miracles that God did through Moses. It's It's used to refer to the miracles that Christ did. So this is interesting, though, for several reasons, but for at least one, it's interesting because we see here really... One of the first times that there's somebody outside of the 12 apostles that are doing miraculous works here. right? So it's not just the 12. It's not just Jesus. Here we see Stephen who's been chosen for this office or, or for this work, but he's not been given a title. He's not been given an office yet. So a layman who has the Holy Spirit and is also doing miraculous things. And so it's, it's, we see that the Word is continuing to grow, that more are becoming disciples, and God is expanding the reach of the kingdom, not just through the twelve apostles, but through the members of the church. So that's it's very exciting that we see. It's, it's continuing on that same note of verse 7. Things were going well, and now we see in verse 8, eight things are continuing to go well. But then we see in verse 9... That when things are going well in the church, we see this a lot of times in the book of Acts, that opposition comes with it as well. Look with me in verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit. With which he was speaking, so we see here uh, that these people, and I, I think we see a parallel here, right? We see that in earlier in Acts, of course, Jesus, we know that he's able to do miracles, and then the apostles, that Jesus is continuing to do miracles through the apostles. But now it almost seems it's expanding, and Stephen, a the layman, they're able to, is able to do these miracles that the Holy Spirit is working through him. Well, we see in my mind at least, the same thing on the opposite side. The apostles have been arrested and opposed by the Jewish leadership, right? We've seen the Pharisees and Sadducees, we've seen the high priests, we've seen the rulers of the Jewish people really opposing Christianity and and putting people in jail and, and being strongly against the spread of the gospel. Well, now we see what appears to be just normal lay Jewish people as well. It says in verse 9, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue... It doesn't sound like these are priests or leaders, that these are Sadducees. Just everyday Jewish people didn't like that Stephen was doing these signs and wonders. So we see here that as the word and the work of the gospel seems to continue to increase, that the opposition to the gospel seems to increase as well. And these people, we've seen that a lot of the, the opposition that's happened so far has been from the traditional Jewish powers, not just from the leaders, but from, her, from the Hebrew Jewish people. Well, these terms that he gives us there in verse 9, you may wonder why Luke gives us all these details, that, that these are from the synagogue of the freemen and Cyrenians, Alexandrians. Well, all of those are Greek names, and so we talked a little bit last week, and I'm not going to spend much time here, but we talked a little bit last week about the difference in Hellenistic Jews, right? Greek-speaking Jews which were the minority. And these people would have been those. So we see here opposition not just from the traditional priests and leaders, not just from the traditional Jewish temple, but we're seeing it even from other synagogues, even from laymen, that there seems to be this continual growing increasing disdain with the spread of Christianity. And we see that in a couple of places here. So I want to give that to you this morning as point one. Point one, the word continued to increase, and so did opposition. We see that, that God is, is expanding, at least in our eyes, the way that we've seen this, the way that the gospel is spreading. Now these signs and wonders and teaching are even being done through Stephen, a layman. But we also say on the other side that the opposition to the gospel is now happening by the minority Jewish people, by the Hellenistic Jewish people, that it's happening even by laymen that they don't like this teaching. And so what do they do? It says that they're disputing with him. They rose up and disputed, and that's the same term that's used uh, back in Mark, it's used a couple of different times, but specifically in Mark 8:11, whenever the Pharisees were trying to disprove Jesus, or we're trying to catch him in a lie, or we're speaking things against him, kind of debating him, arguing with him. So that's what's happening here. These men start arguing, for all intents and purposes, with Stephen. But I do want you to make sure that you make note of verse 10, when they stand up and they say, "Stephen, we don't like what you're teaching." And they start trying to debate him or argue with him. It says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit, capital S spirit, with which he was speaking. Stephen was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit. That's already been attested to. And this brother that was full of the Holy Spirit, whenever somebody stood up and wanted to debate him, wanted to argue with him, wanted to try and prove him wrong, it didn't go well for them. Why? Because he was full of wisdom, wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not because Stephen was the smartest man in the room. It's because the Holy Spirit was the smartest one in the room. It's because Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And brothers and sisters, let me just give it to you in case you've never heard it before. It's not a good practice to try and oppose God. It's not going to go well for you. In the long run, in the end... It's not going to go well. To try and oppose the truth, to try and argue with the truth, in the end, it's not going to go well. So I told you that we would see some of these things about Stephen put into practice. So we were told that church, whenever you choose these seven men, these are seven men that need to be trustworthy. They're seven men that need to have wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. And now we get to see that put in practice. What does that sort of wisdom from the Holy Spirit look like? It looks like whenever people try and stand up and debate Him, they cannot withstand Him. It's as if they were overwhelmed by what it is that Stephen's teaching because of the wisdom that he has, because the Holy Spirit is inside of him. The same Holy Spirit, I'll make note, thats inside of every one of us that are here that are Christians this morning. So what do they do, right? In Acts, there's kind of two ways that this could go. Maybe Stephen explains the gospel truth to them because of the Holy Spirit inside of him. And these brothers just turn and repent and get saved. We see that sort of thing happening in the book of Acts. But the other thing that happens sometimes is they double down on the opposition. And that's what we see here in verse 11 will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So these men, they, they can't resist the wisdom with which he's speaking, but they do resist the call to the gospel. And they double down on their wickedness, and, and they say, we don't like what you're teaching, we don't like this gospel, we're going to dispute you and argue with you, and when they try that and it doesn't work, they just simply move to lying and deceit. They said, well, you know what, if we can't overcome you that way, then we'll just do it the evil way. And so they they get some men to come. They get some false witnesses, as, as Luke tells us, to come. And they make up things about him. And they say things that aren't necessarily true about Stephen. And they stir up all the people. And the people believe these things, partially, I imagine, because a lot of these Jewish people did not like the Christian movement that was going on. And so they come, and they arrest him, and we'll see specifically next week that he's going to be put on trial by this council in front of the council. But point two, just as you're keeping notes of the text itself here, Stephen was unfairly accused. I do want to make sure that you make note of that, that, that it wasn't just that he was accused, that it wasn't just that he was arrested, it wasn't just that he was put on trial, but it was unfairly. These things were not true. Right, they got men to be instigators, right? They secretly instigated men. So they got these men to come and to say these things that were not true about Stephen. They bring up these lies and they say these things. They have these accusations that none of them are true. And you think, why would they do that? Why would they hate Stephen so much that they would make up these lies and threaten his life and... I think we see specifically in verse 14 something that really will help this make sense in our lives. In verse 14, they, they make up a couple of things in verse 13. They say that he's speaking words against the temple, which was a huge no-no in the Jewish in the Jewish uh, customs. He couldn't speak against the temple, couldn't speak against the law. But then in verse 14, it says, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And I think we see in that that these people do not like Stephen because Stephen is tied to Jesus. And we know that these Jewish people do not like Jesus. We've seen them arrest him and beat him and have him spit upon and have him in any way that they could imagine be ashamed and crucified. And now Stephen is teaching about Jesus. And he's saying, that I'm doing these miraculous works in the name of Jesus. And these people cannot stand it. And because Stephen is tied to Christ, these people do not like him. And they want to stop him in any way that they can. So I want to give you a couple application points, but just before we do, look at verse 15 with me, which is a very interesting verse. It says, "...and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel." Now that's a very interesting note that God inspired Luke to add here. And I I will say, I can't tell you exactly what is meant by this verse. I will tell you that I do feel very certain that it's not telling us that Stephen was an angel. I think that this verse can be misinterpreted that way. That's not the way that it reads. That's not what it says, right? It says that, that his face was like that of an angel. So it, it appeared similar to, reminiscent of the face of an angel. So I don't think that this is in any way trying to tell us that Stephen was not a person, but that Stephen was an angel. I really believe that if I were pressed to tell you why I think this is at end there, I really think that it's showing both the innocence and calmness of Stephen, which we'll see as this trial plays out, as they look at him. This man is very calm for somebody that's been falsely accused and lied and put on trial. Uh, that he, he is a man who is innocent, and I think it's clear to these people that he is innocent whenever they look at him, and I think it could also show the closeness that he has with God. But I do want to give us a couple of application points, right? This text is like last week's text. This is telling us something that happened in Stephen's life. And so when we look at this, it's not saying, you go do this. You go do this. So what are some specific applications that we can have as we look at this text? I think the first application point is that strong opposition will come. For you... And for me, that strong opposition will come. This is made very clear. We've seen it in the book of Acts already. There's a lot of the book of Acts left to go, and we're going to see this again and again and again. When God's people do God's work, opposition comes. Now, this should not be a surprise. It should not surprise us that the apostles have already been arrested twice, threatened multiple times, that Stephen here is being... Falsely accused and arrested, that should not surprise us. Because listen to John 15, verses 18 through 21, if you want to write that down. John 15, 18 through 21. Jesus was speaking, and he said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So Jesus was just clear. He spoke to his followers. He said, listen, they're going to hate you. Right? And he's not saying they're going to dislike you a little bit, that, that there's going to be a little bit of opposition. He's going to say they're, they, they will hate you. They're going to hate you because you're mine. They're going to hate you because you don't seem like them, because you seem different than them. He said you're, you're not greater. You're, you're the servant, and we're the servants of Christ as the master, and we're not greater than our master. And so if they persecuted and killed our master, it should not surprise us when they come after us as well. When they come after our customs, when they come after our way of life, when they come after our families, when they come after all of these things, it should not shock us, it should not be a surprise to us. Opposition will come. Persecution will come for those that belong to Christ. And it will come simply because we belong to Christ. And he says that. All these things they will do to you on account of my name. And yeah, I think we see that in this text, right? For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. They don't like Stephen because he's tied to Christ, and they won't like us because we're tied to Christ. If you are living the type of life that Christ has called you to live, there will be people that don't like you. And I know that doesn't sound good, and you think, why would Jesus tell his followers that? Like, that's not a great recruiting tool. We went to a Mississippi Braves game just the other night, and and the Coast Guard uh, was there. They had their recruiting folks out of the Jackson District, and so uh, they weren't standing out there saying, listen, come to the Coast Guard. We'll send you to boot camp and run until your legs feel like they're going to fall off, and we'll feed you very little, and you'll sleep very little for weeks at the time, but come join us. You'll love it. No, they're handing out water bottles and T-shirts. So you think, why is Jesus saying, hey, if you follow me, the world will hate you? Why is not Jesus hand out water bottles and t-shirts? Because, brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't recruit in that way. Jesus is telling us the truth. And, and I'm not telling you this, and we're not seeing this in Stephen's life today and next week, because I want us to be scared, or because God wants us to be scared. But I think he does want us to be prepared that this is going to happen that we should not be shocked whenever we get left out or made fun of or wherever we have brothers and sisters around the world that, that are put in jail or that have their lives threatened or that are actually killed. That, that should not shock us, that should not surprise us, that should not seem out of the box to us, that should seem normal. We knew it when we signed up. We knew when we became Christians. If we've read this, we knew that the world would reject us. And so I want us to be aware of that. I want us to be keenly aware of that because I think in the days to come that it will continue to get worse and worse and worse. As the gospel continues to grow, I think the opposition against the gospel will continue to grow. We see that in Acts. We see that in the lives of the apostles. I believe that we'll see it in our lives as well, and I do not want us to be surprised by it. I want us to be prepared for it, which is the second application point. The Holy Spirit gives us strength. The strength that we need to deal with persecution does not come from ourselves. The fact that Stephen was able to stand before this council next week when we see him give his defense, he's standing before the council, and they're looking at him, and he appears to be this innocent person who seems quite calm, who gives a very articulate understanding of the history of the Jewish people and how it connects to their rebellion against Christ, and you think, how in the world... Could he do that in such circumstance? But it's because the Holy Spirit, who we've already seen twice in Acts 6, that the Holy Spirit gives him wisdom. The Holy Spirit gives him grace and power and strength. And, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit does the same thing for us. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability not only to endure persecution, but to thrive in persecution. And I believe that with all my heart, that we as Christians that because God has given us his Holy Spirit and God is inside of us, that we are particularly well-suited for persecution, right? Fish do well in water, and birds do well in the air, and I believe that Christians can thrive and do well even in times of persecution. And Jesus spoke to that as well in Luke chapter 12, Verses 11 and 12, Jesus said this, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, that doesn't mean don't study your Bible. doesn't mean don't try to memorize Scripture. But it says that, that we don't have to worry because when persecution comes when people try to attack us, that we will know how to continue to be witnesses for Christ. That's what he told us in Acts 1-8, is that when we receive the Holy Spirit, that we would receive power to be his witnesses. And we're going to see this here with Stephen, even when he's on trial, he's able to witness about Christ. Now, spoiler alert, it does not turn out well on this earth for Stephen. They do not accept what he teaches. They do not love him and make him a hero. They're going to stone him and kill him. But he thrived in the purpose that Christ had for him, that even in his persecution, until his dying breath, he stayed true to the call of the gospel. Stephen thrived in difficult circumstances. I believe that we are particularly well-suited to do that as well. Because we have the Holy Spirit. And then the very last one, and this is the the point that y'all may have been thinking I was going to whenever we looked at the first one. And we talked about how difficult things were going to be and the promise that persecution was coming. And you say, why would Jesus ever tell anybody that? Why would you, Brother Zach, as a pastor, ever stand here and tell us how hard it will be to be a Christian? And, And point three is this, Jesus is worthy and able. I want, you to, I want you to understand that. I, I pray that your heart resonates with that truth. Whenever I tell you that Jesus is worthy of us enduring persecution, I pray that your heart says amen. I know, I know, y'all. Your mouth is not going to say amen, and that's okay. But I pray that your heart does. Amen, Brother Say, Jesus is worthy. People will leave me out, and people will talk about me behind my back. And people may put things on Facebook about me. And people may think that my family is weird and people may not like and people may shun us and our family may not invite us to some family gatherings. And all of my buddies from high school may say that I'm an idiot. And people may think that I'm the worst money manager because I give money to this this church and to the cause of the gospel and to missionaries and they don't understand it. And I may one day find myself in a country, in a place where I'm maybe being thrown in jail for following Christ. And people will say that I'm dumb and my life may be threatened. But it's okay because Jesus is worth all of it. If people make fun of me, Jesus is worth it. If people leave me out, Jesus is worth it. If they want to arrest me or kill me, I will accept it because Jesus is worthy of all of these things. He's worthy of my whole life. Why? Because He is God, and He left heaven and came. He didn't have to, He chose to. He lived the perfect life that I messed up every single day of my life. He lived that perfect life, and then He still died. A terrible, excruciating death where He became my sin, and for every sin I've ever committed, the punishment that I deserve for it, He took every bit of that punishment the punishment that it would have taken me an eternity in hell to pay. And that's what I deserve, and that's what you deserve. He took all of that punishment while he was on the cross so that when I responded in faith to him, I wouldn't have to. Brothers and sisters, I'm free because Christ died in my place. And I'm loved by God and reconciled to God because Christ died in my place. And I'm not guilty of sin anymore. I'm not chained to sin and who I used to be anymore because Christ died in my place. And so if people want to make fun of me for following Christ, let them make fun of me. And if people want to leave me out, and if people want to fire me, then let them fire me. And if they threaten my life, I will not turn my back on Christ who did not turn his back on me. He's worthy. He is worthy. And I said he's able. He's worthy and able. What I mean by he's able, I mean, and we'll see this with Stephen next week, that even in the hardest of times that we'll know that he's with us, that we will know that he has not left us, that no matter how mean or ugly or spiteful people are to us, that it will never take away Christ from us. I will leave you with these verses this morning. Romans eight, thirty-one through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. We sang about it just a little bit ago. He will hold me fast. Even in the midst of persecution, Christ will be with us. Nothing can separate His love and His power from His children. So this morning I ask you, First of all, do you believe this gospel, this, this idea that I have laid out, that the reason that Jesus is worthy is because he is God and he came here and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. As it said in Romans 8, that, that he has come back to life and that he is alive today and that he's interceding on behalf of his children, praying for us in heaven, that he has forgiven us of our sins for all of us that have responded in faith, that have given our lives to him. Do you believe that? Not have you heard that, not do you understand that, do you believe that? When you hear that, does your heart say, Amen. This is good, and this is true, and this is worth basing my life and my eternity on. And if so, if you believe that, then brothers and sisters, do you believe that even if your life is filled with tough times and persecution because of Christ, that it's worth it? that you are willing to endure those things, that you know that they'll come, but they do not deter you because you know that Christ is worth it. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. As we see this in the life of Stephen, as we see these terrible things coming and happening to him, and we know that they could happen to us, I want us to have a time of response that we just tell the Lord, thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for loving us. And that you're worth it. So we've given all to him. If you need to pray, you pray where you are. If you need somebody to pray with you. If you have questions, I would love to answer your questions. Come and let me answer those questions. But if not, I invite you to sing with us this morning as we sing. As Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation. We sing, I surrender